0: your Bibles with me if you would, to the book of First Timothy chapter four, and we'll begin reading in verse one. First Timothy chapter four and verse one. First Timothy chapter four, verse one, when you got it, say so. And it says, now the spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed, but reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself toward godliness." For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things. Having a promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. For to this end, we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe these things, command and teach. Father, we thank you so much for your love. We thank you for your kindness, God. We thank you for your word that instructs us, your word that calls us to action, my God. We thank you for the truth that sets us free, God. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence that is here in this place now. And God, I just ask you that you would open our ears, open our hearts, and give us ears to hear what you are saying to your church, my God. I pray that we would not be idle hearers, but that we would be active doers of your word, that we would respond by faith, my God, to the preaching and teaching of your word, God. And I ask you to use me, Father God. I submit myself to you, and I ask you to speak to the hearts of my brothers and my sisters, Lord God. Be glorified. We pray this all in Jesus' good name. Someone said? Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. And so we are wrapping up our CrossFit series. I started this series uh, a few weeks back, and we've had a couple of different services in between, and so we haven't gone straight through, but we dealt with a few different things. We we used FIT, F-I-T, as an acronym, and we talked about being freed, being founded, being formed in Christ the first week, and the question was, are those things happening in your life? We talked for two weeks on cross-investment and asked about us being invested in the cross, and we invest three ways. In the cross, and one way is through our time, one way is through our talent, and the other way is through our treasure. And so, those are the that was the second question, which was the I, are we cross invested in today? I want to talk to you about being cross trained. Are you being cross-trained? Is the question. And so, as we come to the close of this series, my hope is that your faith has been challenged and strengthened, and that you have taken into consideration the reality that we have all been called to be cross-fit. Amen. Now, now, I, now, I said this earlier. Not all of us are called to do cross-fit. Amen. Somebody. I'm just saying, not all of us are called to do CrossFit. That's not our, you know, not, not, not every, I'm not, this is, I'm not advocating for everyone to get part of a CrossFit gym. I, I go, I love it. It's something that I really enjoy. You may not, but here's what I want you to know, is that every one of us is called to be CrossFit, as believers, we are called to be CrossFit. Um, when, I, when, when I look up this word, or when I look up CrossFit, you know, looking at the workout, there's a, there, there's, there's a saying under there, and it says, Forging Elite Fitness. That's the goal of CrossFit, forging elite fitness. In other words, they want to establish something within the exercise community, within that area. They want, to, they want to establish this elite way of being fit. They want to make sure that they set the standard. That's their goal, right? And the reason why this applies to us is because as believers, as those who are Christians, we have a certain, a, a certain area of where we should be experts to some degree, amen? Amen. We should be elite in this area, and that area is called spirituality. In our days, we have a lot of people that want to be spiritual. A lot of people, I mean, you talk to a bunch of folks. If you sit down and you have a few conversations and you try to share the gospel, you will hear people communicate to you, well, you know, I'm spiritual, I just don't go to church. You've heard that, right? You know, you have a lot of spiritual people out there, but the reality is that there is, there there, there are, and I just t- um, looked at the scripture with you, that the Bible says this clearly. I mean, look at it with me. It says, now, the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith. When he's talking about the faith, what is he talking about? He's talking about Christian doctrine. He's talking about biblical faith. He's not talking about just faith in anything. Remember, you can't just have faith in whatever you want, right? We have to have our faith in what? In the truth of Scripture. We put our faith not in man. We put our faith not in feelings. We put our faith not in our emotions, but we put our faith in the truth of Scripture. And so he says that some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. And what that should do for us is that should awaken us to the reality is that, yeah, there are a lot of people that are spiritual, but that doesn't mean that they are spiritual in the, in the context of being Christian spiritual. You hear a lot of people use God and they'll say, you know, God this and God that. And I always caution everyone because at one point in my life, I was ignorant to the fact that when someone said God, see, because just, just, you know, so you know me, for those of you that don't, before I came to Christ, I wasn't using God's name in a godly way. Hello. And so when I used the name God, it was, you know, at the, you know, it was, it was in the beginning of damn and I wasn't, I wasn't using his name. I wasn't saying, yeah, to God be the glory. It wasn't like that. And so when I became a Christian, when I started talking about God, I knew who I was talking about. I was talking about Jesus, the one who redeemed me, the one who saved me, the one who set me free, right? And then what would happen is I would get into environments with people, and they would start saying, yeah, glory to God. Praise God. And I was like, oh, yeah, praise. And I would get excited. Yo, these people love God. But then you dig a little bit deeper, and you start to realize they're not talking about your God. Not always. They're not not always talking about the same God. Oh, they're giving praise to a God, but they're not giving praise to the God. There was a difference. And so it's important for us because in our day, when we're looking at this message, CrossFit, I really want us to really consider, I mean, are we striving? And when I say to be elite, I don't mean to be like with your nose up in the air elite. That's not what I'm talking about. If there's one thing that I can tell you, and I, and I will say this, and um, and it won't be the last reference in the message to my CrossFit friends and family, but if there's one thing that I can say about them is that you would look at these people, and, you see, and I mean, I see some people that are really fit and really in shape, and I'm not a good poster boy for CrossFit. I'm just going to let you know that right now, okay? My brother Al, who's not here today, he's a good poster boy for CrossFit, okay? I mean, he's ripped and all that stuff. Now, what I'm telling you is you go into that environment, and you feel like you're going to be intimidated, right, because all of these really good, you know, fit people are are in that environment, and you want to know what? They never. One day I made a joke, and, th- and th- this was really horrible. We were doing handstand walks, and I hadn't, I hadn't walked on my hands in, like, who knows how long because that's not something that I do every day, right? I'm just saying. You know, when I was a kid, we used to do that, so we had to do handstand walks, so it was the first time. I'd only been there for, like, a couple of months, and, and i never forget. They were like, okay, well, this is how you do it. I was like, okay, and so, you know, a couple people went, and they were falling all over the place, and then I got up, and I started walking. Right. And everybody, everybody stopped. My daughter, is she in here? She's not here. But anyway, she's helping over there. My daughter was standing over there and everybody was like, is that your dad? She's like, oh yeah, that's my dad. (laughs) She was happy. Right. And I walked, you know, I mean, I didn't walk really far. I probably walked maybe five feet, something like that. I don't know. But the point was, everybody was like, yo, that was awesome. And when I got up, right, I said this, this is what came out of my mouth. I said, yeah, that was the fat guy. I thought that was a funny joke, right? Like you, were, like, you thought that was funny. I'm just saying, right? Like, I'm like, like, there was some dudes that got up in front of me. They were all ripped and yoked, and they were like, boom, boom. They couldn't walk. I was like, yo, what's up, son? Right? Right? I mean, I was like, yo, I got this, right? And so when I said that, nobody laughed. Nobody thought that was funny. But you know why that was? It was because they're not like that. They're, they're, they don't have, they, they want to take you to that level, but they're not looking down on you because of where you're at. They want to bring everybody up to the same place. And so what I think is that as Christians, it should be the same way for us, right? Like when we see somebody who is not at our level, when we see someone who is not where we are, we shouldn't be looking down on them, trying to push them down. Or something that is even worse is that, well, I look at them and I'm like, yo, I'm all that because they ain't all that. And instead of me judging myself by the scriptures and by Jesus, I start to look at them and measure my life. And so what happens is for us, we should be the same way. The way that they want to forge elite fitness, we should be forging elite spirituality as the church. What we should be doing is we should be striving to be the definition of spiritual fitness. We should be striving to be those people who really give the true definition of what spirituality is. That you can't just be spiritual because you sit down and you meditate or something like that. That you can't just be spiritual because you're in tune with the vibrations of the universe that you're not just spiritual because you sense no 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 it is not that you become spiritual because you are born again you become spiritual because you were dead in your trespasses you were not alive spiritually and Jesus came into your life you repented of your sin trusted his work on the cross and now you are born again your spirit comes to life and because of the transaction that was worked on the cross you now have a right relationship with your heavenly father and you are now spiritual because of that and your spirituality is not measured because of your feelings and your emotions and your sensations but your spirituality is measured by your obedience to the scriptures and your trust in the one who authored the scriptures and so for us if we are going to be that elite crossfit kind of people then that's the mindset that we have to have Jesus makes it abundantly clear to us in the book of Matthew, and you can write these scriptures down, in the book of Matthew chapter 16 verses 24 to 28, in the book of Mark chapter 8 verse 34 through nine through, through chapter 9 and verse 1, and in the book of Luke chapter 9 verse 23 to 27, I know I said those fast, I'll say them one more time, in the book of Matthew chapter 16 verse 24 to 28, In the book of Mark chapter 8 verse 34 to Mark chapter 9 and verse 1, and the book of Luke chapter 9 verse 23 to 27, Jesus makes it emphatically clear. He says this, anyone who is going to be his follower must deny himself, take up their cross, and follow him. Jesus, Jesus makes some amazing statements, and when we think about being spiritual, my first question for you is this, is are you denying yourself? Are you denying yourself? Because if you're a follower of Jesus, you have to say yes to that. It doesn't mean perfectly. Perfectly. But I want you to get the picture that Jesus is communicating to his disciples, who we're talking about being CrossFit, right? And Jesus here uses the terminology. It's actually in Matthew chapter ten, and in, in, in the way that, it, that that it flows in the in, in, in the story of Jesus or the history of Jesus, the, in Matthew chapter ten is where he uses the cross first, where he says, "If you love father or mother more than me, you're not worthy of me. If you love son or daughter more than me, you're not worthy of me. But he who's going to come after me must take up his cross and follow after me." This is what Jesus communicates, and later on. He's, he goes to his disciples in chapter 16, and that's the, you know, that, that's the famous, you know, um, passage of scripture where he asks his disciples, who do men say that I am? And they start saying, well, they say you're John the Baptist, they say you're this, that, and they go through all that. And then he asks them the most important question, which is the same question that's the most important question for everyone in this room. It is not who everyone else says Jesus is, but who do you say that he is? Because it doesn't matter what mommy and daddy said about Jesus, it is what do you say about Jesus. Because it, it is a reflective question about where is my faith if I really believe Jesus is something. It's not that I, well, well Jesus is God and Jesus is this. You can, you can agree to that, you know, mentally. That doesn't mean that you are his. And he asks his disciples that question. And Peter comes out, he's like, you are the son of God. And he communicates this, and what does Jesus say? Jesus, like, gives him an applause. He's like, man, flesh and blood has not revealed that to you but my Father in heaven. And Peter's like feeling good about himself. And then Jesus reminds him and lets him know, hey, but you know, don't tell anyone who I am. And then he goes on and lets him know because I'm going to have to suffer and I'm going to have to die. And then Peter, because you know, he's the, he's the man, right? What does he do? He pulls Jesus to the side. If you read the, read the scriptures, he pulls Jesus to the side and says, yo, man, what are you, crazy? I mean, really, he's like, were you going to say, wait, wait, time out, time out. God showed me who you were. You're not going to die. And then Jesus says, what? Satan, get behind me. Notice, one moment he's getting revelation from God, the next moment the devil is using him. That's why I tell you, we can't depend on our feelings because he was feeling that. Oh, you are the son of God. And he was feeling it. You're not going to die. You cannot do that. Far be it from you. He was feeling them both. I'm just saying. He was deep in emotion on both of those scenarios. One of them, he was 100% right. The other one, he was 100% wrong. Now, were his intentions wrong in either one? Absolutely not. But he missed it, and so we can't depend on our emotions there. But in that context, the next thing that Jesus says after, get behind me, Satan, he says, let me tell you this. He calls the crowd to him, and he says, if anybody desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. In other words, not only am I going to be the one that's going to die, but are you willing to die? Because he says, deny yourself. And literally when he talks about deny yourself, that word can literally mean to reject. So when I ask you the question, are you denying yourself? The question is, are you rejecting your desires for God's desires? Because if we're being cross-fit... If we're being trained by the cross and what the cross is supposed to be, then that means that I must deny myself. When he says to take up his cross, what is he communicating to his disciples? He's letting them know, listen, I want you to know this. Now now listen, you need to get this. Jesus was not saying, take up your cross, like put on a piece of jewelry like we do today. Are you hearing me? It wasn't cool. I like to give this analogy. In those days, the cross would be the equivalent of like the electric chair. Understand this for me for a moment, okay? The cross was like the electric chair. Now, when you think of the electric chair, apart from the suffering and and all that that may happen there, what you have to understand is who are the people that go to this electric chair? The worst of the worst of criminals. Those are the people who experience that, right? Those are the people. And so what Jesus was saying is he's saying that same thing in that same context. It's like, yo, I mean, if you were to use it like this, you know, you could say, hey, man, carry your electric chair. None of y'all, now listen, none of y'all are going to rock no electric chair earrings. Like That's not going to become a fashion statement like, yo, I'm going to get a shirt with an electric chair on and be like, yo, I got my electric chair, man. You're not. We're not going to do that, right? And so what happens is, you know, 2,000 years later, and I mean even before that, you know, all of a sudden the cross becomes this thing. And listen, if you have a cross, I didn't look at you when you walked in. If you're rocking some amazing cross earrings, I'm not, I'm not coming at you like that. It's not, I, I'm, that's beautiful. All glory. My point is, that was not what Jesus was saying. He wasn't saying, look, I want you to have a decoration. He was saying, I want you to be willing to die. If you're going to follow me, understand that death can happen to you. You can die for the gospel. And if you look throughout history, you find many martyrs. And even modern day history, people are dying for the gospel today. You don't have to look far. They're dying for the gospel today. And so Jesus wants us to understand that if we're going to be CrossFit, then we need to be those people who realize that being a disciple of Jesus is not a walk in the park. It's not supposed to be some easy route, but it is something that has to be serious and something that we need to make sure that we are living out and that way we're growing in our being CrossFit. Amen? The New Testament metaphors of farming war. Fighting, wrestling, running, and training should indicate to us that being a disciple of Jesus is laborious, taxing, and tiring. Did you hear what I said? When you look at the New Testament, nowhere does it ever say, hey man, you're gonna come to Jesus and go ahead and grab some lemonade, sit in the shade, and wait for eternity. That's not what it says. It de- no nowhere does it say, listen, come, this is the easy way. It doesn't say that. It says he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. No one comes to the Father except to me. That is true, that amen to that. Amen. But he didn't say, and once you come to me, everything's going to be easy. No, but you see the Apostle Paul continually giving us instruction, and he talks about farming, right? He's, I mean, think about it. Mean, any, anybody here, like, is any, anybody farmer in here? Raise your hand if you're a farmer. Like, okay, so we have some people that have experienced that. Is that easy work? No. Right. Like nobody wants to be a farmer. I'm just saying no one wants to be out there, especially like like nowadays they have a bunch of stuff that kind of helps things, but it still doesn't make it easy. I'm just saying. But in the times when when Paul is writing, they didn't have all of that stuff. I mean, it was serious, hard, manual labor. He talks about us farming. The Bible gives gives other analogies. It talks about us fighting. You know this good fight. He tells Timothy to fight this good fight. The, um, he tells the church in Ephesus that we don't wrestle against power, uh, against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. And so he gives us the understanding of wrestling. And he tells us to run this race or to or to fight this fight. And in this particular scripture we're looking at, he tells us that we are to be trained in a certain way or exercised toward godliness. And so that means that there is hard work being a christian it's not easy but here's the beauty of this each of these actions while they require all of our effort and great effort at that each of them yields great reward satisfaction and accomplishment because when you're a farmer and you're out there and you do your work and you do your labor when you start to see that crop and you and and you experience that guess what there's satisfaction in that it's not like, see, this is the beauty of this. God doesn't say, hey, man, you're just going to work hard. It's going to be horrible, and it's going to suck. He does not say that. I'm sorry. I don't mean to offend anyone, but I'm just saying. He does not say it like that. It's not like, man, this is going to be horrible, and it's going to be bad. But what he says is there is going to be great reward. To what you're doing. There's going to be great reward. There's going to be great satisfaction when we are walking and we are laboring with our God. And we are walking with him. We experience joy that exceeds understanding. We experience peace that exceeds understanding. Why? Because we're working with him for his glory and his honor. And the question for us is are we being trained by the cross? Because here's the reality. Being trained by the cross means that we are being prepared to be crowned with glory. And in this earth and in this time and now, we will experience some of those benefits. Say some of those benefits. We should not experience all of those benefits. If we experience all of those benefits and all of those rewards here in this earth, what do we have to look forward to? Nothing. We have nothing to look forward to. When we talked about our investing in the kingdom, it isn't about getting rich now. It is about us doing what? Sowing into our future. Sowing into the kingdom. It is storing up treasure where it cannot be destroyed. So the first thing, repeat after me, say this with me. Say, to be cross-trained, we must undergo general training toward godliness. So the first point is this, to be cross-trained, we must undergo general training toward godliness. And so in the scripture that we looked at, and I will not break it all down, but in the scripture here, the apostle Paul prophesied about the days that we live in. He said that in these latter times that the Spirit express, expressly said, expressly communicated. It made it abundant. The Holy Spirit made it abundantly clear that there was going to be a time that people were going to be deceived by demons, that people were going to give ear to seducing spirits, that people were going to turn from the faith, that people were going to do those things. He makes it clear. And and, 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 and the way that that was going to happen, now notice this. He didn't say that they were just running after their carnal desires because it wasn't just Just people walking in the flesh and just living. No, they want to be spiritual. They want to be deep. And so what are they looking? They're looking for those deeper things of God. They're looking for that deeper revelation. And I've tried to make this abundantly clear. There is no deeper revelation than the gospel. If there is any revelation, if there is any communication, if there is any manifestation of whatever that does not bring us back to the cross and bring us back to Jesus, we need to question if that's really him. Hear what I'm saying. When we start to glorify men, when we start to glorify things, when we start to glorify experiences over the gospel, there was a problem. Paul said this was of first importance. And so we have to have that understanding and that mindset that there's nothing deeper. But these people wanting to be spiritual. He says that they will depart, right? They want to be deep. They're going to depart from biblical Christianity. The Bible is not enough because what happens is this. You start to learn your Bible and then all of a sudden you start to think, well, I already know that. I've already read that. I've already heard that preach. I've already heard that scripture. I already know what that's talking about. And so there's got to be something deeper, really. Get back into that and let's get deeper. You don't know this. Listen, I don't know, I don't know about anybody here. I've, I've been a Christian for almost 20 years, right? I'm going on like, I think it's going to be 20 years next month. 20 years being a Christian. And I can promise you that I have learned more, I have learned more about what I don't know than what I know. What I mean is, the more that I read this Bible, the more that I study, the more that I see, I'm like, wow, I really thought I knew that, but I don't. And I'm assuming, I mean, there's some people in here a little older than me, I won't point any of you out, and have probably read the Bible a little more than I, probably studied the Scriptures a little more than I, and I'm assuming, because, you know, you're still here and you're not crazy, hello? Hello? That you realize the same thing, that you, you've studied and you've learned. And you're like, man, but that is, and, and God just continues to show you himself through the scriptures. And so we have to be those kind of people because here's what happens. Those that study this word and that hold this word as highest authority. My feelings are not highest authority. This word is highest authority. Jesus gave us his word for us to live by, and so we live by this, and so as we live by these scriptures, then we are able to be protected from this, what is called this great apostasy that will happen. And Pastor Robert and I, we had a conversation a long time ago, and one of the things that he and I agreed on is that we don't believe that this great falling away is going to be people leaving the visible church. It's going to be people perverting the visible church. See, it would be real easy to be like, oh yeah, they're goats, we're sheep, amen. If they just left the church, it'd be real easy. But you know what the Bible says? This is what the Bible says. The Bible says that there's wheat and there's tares. And and, and they're in the same place. And so if we take it in the context of just this building right here with everyone in here, and I'm going to say this and don't get your feelings hurt. I hope you are all wheat, but I can't guarantee that. But what the scripture says is that there are some of you in here that are wheat, meaning that you are believers. And there are some of you in here that are tares, meaning that you're non-believers. You know what the beauty of that statement is? Is that there is hope for you today. Is that if you are not a believer, you can turn from your sin and put your faith in Jesus and become wheat. Amen. That is the beauty of this. But the scripture says that that's what's going to happen. And so what we have is we have a church that is being plagued by deception and the way that we stay clear of deception is what is being in intimacy with Jesus is being in intimacy with the Holy Spirit is being in submission to the word of God and that's the way we steer clear we steer clear from that And so the Apostle Paul, he goes on to say this, and we'll read this together. He said, speaking lies and hypocrisy in verse 2, having their own conscience seared with with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. And remember what I said. These are people that are looking to be deep. These are people that are looking to be spiritual. These are people. Look what they're doing. They're saying, listen, you don't marry right? This is what they're communicating. They're saying these people, they were very much wanting to sacrifice. They were very much wanting to sacrifice their flesh before their spirituality. And so they start saying, well, you know, marriage, the only reason for marriage is for procreation. That's it. So we only get married only to continue to procreate. There's no pleasure in marriage. That's horrible. I have a lot of pleasure in my marriage. Amen. Amen. I would hope that, you know, you don't just get married just to just have babies and that's it. But that's what they would say. So you would only get married because that was something that wasn't necessarily spiritual. And then they would tell you, you can't eat certain foods because you had to prove your sacrifice of your flesh. And he says these are doctrines of demons. He's saying these are teachings that were not from the Holy Spirit of God. And he goes on to say, for every creature of God is good and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. I got some amens earlier because people are excited they can eat whatever they want. Just give thanks. Just remember, look, man, you reap what you sow. I'm just saying. You know, know, they say something else. You are what you eat. So just think about that. I'm just saying. Amen. Amen. For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. And he goes on to say, he says, if you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. And look what he says. He said, but reject profane and old wives' fables. In other words, reject all of those stories that are godless, that have no biblical root, that have no biblical value, that seem spiritual, that seem amazing. Reject those things. And he goes on to say, what is the responsibility of believers? He says, and exercise yourself toward godliness. Now, I want you to look at verse 11 real quick because look what he says here. He says, these things command and teach. These things, did he say these things suggest Again, let's go back to that. He said, these things command and teach. And so Paul is telling his son in the faith, exercise yourself toward godliness. And he goes on to say, because bodily exercise of little profit, but exercise toward godliness has profit in the life that is and the life that is to come. And so he communicates this. And what he's saying is, teach this to the people. Command them. Let them know that this is the command of God. This is the call of God, that we exercise ourselves toward godliness. He encourages his son in the faith to exercise toward godliness. In other words, what is he saying? He's saying make great efforts in growing in godly character and growing in biblical truth and doctrinal assurance. That's what he's saying. He's saying do everything that you can to grow in these things because these things are going to do what? They're going to bear fruit in this life and in the life to come. Now, just to give you a little definition, the word there, in general, I want you to know this. In general, all Christians should be exercising themselves toward godliness. In verse 7, he says that. Exercise yourself toward godliness. Learn the doctrines of Scripture. Learn the truth of Scripture. Know your Savior. Know your God. That word exercise is the word gumnaso in the Greek. And what that word literally means, it means to exercise naked. Now, don't get naked. All right? That's not what it's saying. Especially not in here, but ultimately, he is communicating, he is saying, exercise. And those times, and, and you think about this, right? They, they dress a little bit different than us, right? They dressed in robes. So when they went to exercise, you, can you exercise in a robe? How many of y'all saw that robe exercise class at LA Fitness? <laughs> right? There, there's no robe exercise class, right? And then mo- most of the time, when people go to work out, they wear as little as possible. Why? Because they're scandalous? Maybe for some, but I don't think that it's like that for everyone. I'm just saying, for some people, it, that, it, that is the point. But for other people, they wear as little as possible. Why? So that way they are, they are not hindered in their exercise. Right? The book of Hebrews tells us in chapter 12, verse 1, it tells us to do what? It tells us to lay aside or cast off every weight and sin that so easily ensnares us and for us to run this race. Why? Because if you're weighted down, guess what you can't do? You can't run. You cannot run. And so what he's saying is, it doesn't just mean to exercise naked, but it also means vigorously. And so what he's saying is, you should give everything you have to what? Growing spiritually. You should give everything you have to growing in godly character. You should give everything you have to growing in the ways that God calls us to grow as his children. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and we'll make our second point here. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Did I say first? I meant first. That's what I said first, That I meant that first, amen, amen, thank you. First Corinthians, I appreciate that. I'm glad y'all are listening, amen. First Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 to 27, and before we read the scripture, say this with me, say, to be cross-trained, we must address specific areas of weakness to grow in godliness. If we're going to be cross-trained, we don't just need the general training that is there for everyone, but we must identify and we must specify those areas of weakness and we must address those in order for us to grow in godliness. Look what the Apostle Paul says. I love this. He says this in verse 24. When you got to say so, So. 1 Corinthians 9 verse 24. It says, do you not know that those who run in, in in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. Now pause for a moment. These people in Corinth, you know, they knew about like, you know, like our present day Olympics. They had something similar in those times. And there was one race, I can't remember the name of it, but there was one race that was actually run through there. And so when Paul was communicating to these people about this running this race, they understood the mindset. And here's the thing. Anybody who runs in the Olympics, anybody who does any kind of competitive sport, they do it to do what? To win. To win. Everybody wants to win. Nobody wants to come in second place. That's, I mean, that's just factual. Everybody wants to come in first place. Everybody wants to win. And so Paul is saying, well, in a natural race when, you know, everybody runs, but there's only one person who wins the prize. And so he tells us as the church, telling them, he's saying, listen, run in such a way as to what? That you may obtain it. He's not talking about a natural race, though. He said, and everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. In other words, he says that they're disciplined in all things, right? They they, they change their strategy. They change their diet. They change their workout. In the time that they're preparing for this race, they change some stuff up, and that way they can get ready. So they're temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. So he says, look, these people change their lifestyle in order to win this race. How much more should you? These people change everything about themselves in order for them to win that prize. And only one of them is going to win. But every one of them trains as though they're a winner. And what he says is, he says, every one of us, he says, they do it for this perishable thing. But we do it for an imperishable one. He goes on to say in verse 26, he says, therefore, run thus. Not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. I love that. He goes on and he gives us, he says, run this way. He says, run as one that is going to win. And then he goes on to communicate himself and he shows, I don't, I don't fight like this. He changes it from running to fighting. He changes the story from him running to giving the picture of a boxing match. And so I said this, to be cross-trained, we must address specific areas of weakness to grow in godliness. In the natural, you must recognize and work on your weaknesses in order to become the best you can be. And the same holds true in the faith. See, I told you about me being able to walk on my hands, right? But there's other things that I cannot do like that. There's other things that I'm like, yo, I'm the man. I'm not the man. There's other things that I'm in mean there, I'm like, yo, I need to be able to do this thing, it's called a muscle up, it's pretty intense, you know, you like a pull up on ring dips and then a dip, it's amazing, I haven't gotten there yet. You'll be the first to know when it happens. <laughs> I will let you know, Bishop got a muscle up, glory to God. But here's, here's the thing, the thing is, that's, a, the, 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 that's an area of weakness for me, right? And so I need to address those areas. See, general training is not enough if you desire to, to be elite in the faith. And the, the, the thing is, we cannot become satisfied with our strengths, but we must be challenged by our weaknesses. Now, notice, I didn't say condemned by our weaknesses. I didn't say you should be condemned. I didn't say that you should, like, not thank God that you're strong in a certain area. Did I say that? No. We should praise God for the areas where we're strong in. If you're a good husband, you should praise God. You shouldn't boast about it. I'm just saying because then you get comfortable and then you forget you can still grow. Amen. Because you're a good husband. You're not a perfect husband. Amen. Amen. I'm just saying. Right? You know, if you're a good wife, you know, you should praise God. You're a good parent, you should praise God for that. You know, you're a good employee, you should praise God for that. You have a strong prayer life, you should praise God for that. You're disciplined in the Word of God, you should praise God for that. But what I am saying is that you should not just say, well, I'm strong in this area, this area, this area, and this area. I don't need to worry about those other areas. God wants us to grow in his character. He wants us to grow holistically in all areas. He wants us to grow in the grace and knowledge of who he is in all areas of our lives. God's grace is able to empower us to do what? To grow in those areas of weakness if we will wholeheartedly commit to growing in our faith in the gospel for all areas of our life. The key to us being a gospel centered people, a cross centered people that we're talking about, is us understanding the implications of the gospel in every area of our life. And you know what? That takes time, that takes effort, that takes growth in grace. It takes us being disciplined, sitting down with the Lord, seeing how the word of God applies to our lives, seeing how the word of God applies to those areas. See what promise I can stand on? What command I need to obey? That's the way that we grow in this grace. And I love what Paul says because he brings it home. And I want you to know this. He doesn't I made the point, you got to deal with your weaknesses. It wasn't like Paul was saying, I had a specific weakness and I want to deal with that weakness. And so I can't pull that out of the scripture. But what I can tell you is this is that I love what he says. He says, therefore run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. In other words, Paul wasn't just walking around saying, well, I'm just praying, I'm just worshiping, I'm just going to church, I'm just giving, I'm just reading my Bible, I'm just doing these things because those are things that Christians are supposed to do in order to grow. But Paul says he did what? He says this. He says, but I discipline. Say, I discipline. In one translation, it says, I beat I beat my body. And when you look at that word beat, you know what it literally means? It literally means to beat black and blue. This is probably why Martin Luther used to beat himself when he used to sin because he took that literally. We don't need to take this literally. Don't start beating yourself up. Uh. Understand this. Don't you, you don't have to beat yourself up like physically like that. But you do need to beat your flesh into submission. How do I beat my flesh into submission? I say no to my desires that don't bring glory to God. I turn away from the sin that I love. I turn away from those things that may not even be sinful, but they're things that are distracting in my life. I beat my body into submission. And the reason why he did it, he makes it so amazingly clear. He's like, I do this so that way after I have preached, I'm not disqualified. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I'm continuing to work out my salvation. I'm not just sitting back saying, well, it's already done and that's going to be the end of it. That isn't what he was saying. He was saying, I continue to do this. I continue to beat my body into submission. And so the apostle wasn't beating the air personally. He was calculated. He was imposing on his flesh. He wasn't like saying, well, I'm going to do what I want. No. And he was intentionally bringing his body into submission. And the question for you and I is this, is where do you need to bring yourself? into submission to the will of God. Is it a bad attitude? Do you need to bring your attitude into submission unto the Lord? Is it a filthy mouth? Is that an area where you need to bring your body into submission to the Lord? Is it the way that you communicate and deal with people? Is that something that needs to happen? Is there a specific sin in your life that you need to deal with? There's some people, and I can tell you right now, some people that have struggled with pornography in their past. They, they, There's one guy that I know. He's a preacher, and whenever he would go to a hotel, look at what he would do. He would go to the hotel, call him when he was preaching in other places. He would call the hotel beforehand and say, will you please remove the the cable connection from the TV before I arrived. And when he would get to the hotel room, when the bellman was still there, he would look to see if they disconnected it. And if it wasn't disconnected, he would stand there at the doorway and he would call them and say, someone needs to disconnect that before I go in this room alone. Why was that? Was it because he couldn't disconnect it himself? Maybe not. But what he was doing was, he was making sure he beat his flesh into submission. So what area is it for you and I? The last thing, say this with me. To be cross-trained, we must support our training with proper nourishment. This is the thing that is the most unpopular part of any workout plan, the diet plan. Listen, I'm letting you know right now, it is good. I love to work out hard, but I hate to eat right. Did you hear what I just said? I love to get in and get it on. I mean, I'm like that. I'm like, yo, let's do this thing, right? But when it comes time to eat, I'm the same way, yo, let's do this thing. I'm like, yo, I want to get down. I don't, I don't want to watch my carbs. I don't want to watch the fat intake. It just looks good. Let's get in it. Amen. I'm just saying. Thanksgiving, it's sanctified. Glory to God. I'm looking for the scripture that says I can rebuke the calories, but it hasn't happened. I haven't found that yet. I, maybe I just don't have that kind of faith. I'm just saying. But ultimately... We have to make sure that whatever, whatever, whatever workout plan you do in the natural, you have got to support it with the right nourishment. You have to support it with the right nourishment. And what is, and what is Jesus? Again, natural development must be supported by the right nutrition or you will fail. And this is the reason for this. There's, it's more than just the beach body that you want. Hello. You know, most people want that beach body. They want to look right and all that kind of stuff. But there's something greater. If you're really into working out, you will never perform at your highest level if you're not eating right. Pastor Robert, he, he jokes around and he talks about, man, if my, if my folks in track, if they're eating crazy, I'll know it because they're going to throw it up. <laughs> He's going to know if they're eating wrong. The next day when they come to practice, you're going to know because it's, it's going to come out. And so, do you think that that helps them to perform? Absolutely not. Because guess what you're doing the whole time you're running, thinking about throwing up? You're trying not to. So, are you exerting yourself? Absolutely not. Because what? You're thinking about what you're trying to hold back? I'm just saying. And so ultimately what will happen is if you and I are not in, in the natural sense if we are not participating in nutritious stuff and things that are going to help our work then we're not going to perform at our and, and listen it's more it's think about this for a moment it shouldn't just be about the look it should be about the performance isn't that what I said in the beginning It's not just about lifting heavy weights and not just about doing that, but it should be about functionality outside of the gym, right? The same thing for Christians. It shouldn't just be about us knowing some memory verses and and some things like that. The same principle holds true in the faith. We cannot expect to grow spiritually no matter how much we exercise toward godliness. What do we mean? What do I mean by that? Well, prayer, reading the Bible, learning doctrinal truth, sharing the faith, coming to church, participating in community, all the things that we do, those things are all meant to help us grow if we are at the same time making provision for our flesh by partaking of things that are opposed to what we believe. Has had someone ask me a question, and I want to say this off-rip. I'm not your entertainment police. So I'm not going to do that. Right. It may have been a time that I might have tried to do that when, it, you know, but here's the thing. My point is, I'm not going to tell you, you know, you shouldn't watch rated R movies. You shouldn't watch this. You shouldn't watch that. Those are things that you really need to experience conviction on and you need to live by those convictions. OK, but what I will tell you is this, is that there are some things in the entertainment world that you should not be listening to. There are some things you should not be watching. Why? Because they oppose the very Christianity that you claim to live. They're against what you believe. And so what happens is, I love this analogy. It is almost as if you come to church, you know, or you read your Bible, and it's like God is laying this cement in your heart. He's laying this foundation in your life. And then you walk out immediately from the foundation being laid, and then you go and you allow ungodliness to smear and mess up everything that he did before the cement sets. Do you understand that, that, that the same way that you see cement, it takes time, right? Someone lays it down. It takes time for it to dry. It's the same thing for our hearts and our lives when it comes to truth. It is the same thing. And so we wonder why we're not growing. It's because we're not partaking of the things that we should and we are partaking of stuff that we shouldn't. Jesus said clearly he's what? The bread of life. So that means you should be partaking of Jesus a lot. Amen. We should be partaking of him continuously. And how do we do that? We do that in his word. We do that in prayer. We do that in worship. We do that in communion symbolically. And so we do those things. And then he says that what? He says the Holy Spirit is going to come and and those living waters are going to come out of our belly. And what is that? How does that happen? That's the Holy Spirit of God. So that means that if we're thirsty, we should be drinking of what? Of the Spirit of God. That's what should be happening in our lives. But I want you to know this, it's not enough for you to just to drink deeply of the Spirit of God and for you to eat frequently of the Word of God and participate of the body of Christ in this spiritual sense. It's not enough for you to just do that if you go and contaminate it with a bunch of other garbage. Let's be real about this. It's not just about us doing some religious activity like we came to church and we get cleaned up. We talk about communion all the time, and we deal with communion and what it, sim- it, it symbolizes. Communion doesn't save us. Hello? When I, when, when I, first, when I first became a Christian, and, and, y'all, and, and for those of you that don't know, when I first became a Christian and the church I was going to, we used to do altar calls every single week. Every single week. And I have nothing against altar calls. I may do one today. Who knows? We'll see what happens. But here's the thing. What I saw in so many occasions were people, and there was two people because I'm going to let you know about me, this person. I used to go to the, when I first became a Christian, I was at every single altar call, and it wasn't because I was getting resaved. Hello. Because it wasn't just all, I mean, maybe there were altar calls for salvation. I don't remember, but I just know this. I was coming to the front because I just wanted someone to pray for me. That was it. I just wanted someone to pray for me. I I wanted to grow in the grace and knowledge of God. But then I became a youth pastor. And when I was youth pastor, you know what I used to see? I used to specifically do these altar calls for salvation. And I would see the same people coming up to the altar every week as though this was time for confession. And they were getting right with God. And they were going to walk out like they were right with him here. And then what? Go back to the same old life of sin. Go back to living ungodly. That's the reason why I say this, that this altar, if you come forward for a prayer of faith, this is the start line, not the end. It doesn't end here. You start the race here. And and you know what? You don't even have to come to the altar to start the race. You can start the race from your seat. The point is, start running. The point is, start growing in the grace and the knowledge of who God is. Because what happens is people, from whatever the mindset is, they come with the mindset like going to church saves you. It doesn't. Listen, like doing certain things saves you. What saves you is faith in Christ Jesus. It is his work that saves us and delivers us. And our job is to do what? Is to grow in that relationship. But Listen, we will not grow if we continue to partake of those things that are ungodly if we continue to condone our sinful actions, if we continue to listen and be part of things that just don't help us grow. That's part of denying ourselves, church. Saying no to our flesh. Saying no to our desires. And so it means that some things will definitely have to change in our lives. Sometimes friends will have to leave our lives. Sometimes situations will not be able to be part of our lives. And in closing, my question is this. Is the cross training your life? Is it training your life? Is the cross developing you? Are you denying yourself? Are you growing in the grace and knowledge of who he is? And the second question that I have is, have you surrendered to the power of the cross? So the first question is, is the cross training you? But we can't get to the second question until we deal with the first one. Have you surrendered to the power of the cross? And here's a beautiful thing, is that it's not a one-time surrender. It's a continual surrender. Surrender to the power of the cross. Stand to your feet and bow your heads with me. Let me pray with you. I ask you to grab your neighbor's hand and pray for them as I pray generally. Father, I thank you so much for each person that is here today. I thank you for the blessing, Lord God, that it is to be able to share your word with